I'm Lee Schneider. This is the Future of Food. In this season of the podcast, we're looking at how restaurants will survive in pandemic times. Restaurants are closed here in California, except for takeout. While this has upended everything, there are still a few questions that, even at reduced capacity, every restaurant has to answer. How much food to order, and how long will it stay fresh? Even in a grocery store, you may wonder how long the food on the shelves has been sitting there before you put it in your cart. These are supply chain questions that Craig Fielding can answer. He's the founder and owner of Fusionware, a platform designed to manage supply chains for food growers, packers, and shippers. He describes himself as an Idaho boy who grew up on a farm and ended up in software and tech. I've been in all these different verticals, and I thought they were challenging. But produce, you would think that that would be the easiest thing to apply software and technology to. This has been the most challenging venture I've ever been involved with. Here's my conversation with Craig. Let's start with what is the supply chain with food? What does that mean? What do we need to know about it? We're in a global economy now. And as such, the consumer is demanding uh, produce consistently year-round and expects that year-round. And and as such, through the global economy and that global supply chain, uh, literally here in the United States, we're sourcing food from all over the world year-round. You you can't grow a tomato, you can't grow grapes, you can't grow carrots, you know, certain things year-round here in the United States, even with the variation of climates here in the United States. Onions is a good example as well. So as such, Food has to be sourced all around the world uh, in North America, South America, in order to supply the consumers and the consumers' demands for uh, those particular commodities to be able to be on the store shelf year-round. And most of the time, it works really well. We're hardly aware of it. We go into the supermarket, we order at a restaurant, whether it's Chilean sea bass or blueberries, It's on our plate or in our shopping bag. But we had an event this year which really disrupted the supply chain. We might have not thought of it like that. We were just thinking, I can't get toilet paper or my supermarket shelves are bare. Is the supply chain fragile or was there no redundancy? What happened? It is incredibly fragile, especially with the disruption like we saw with COVID. But Let's, let's throw COVID aside here for just a second and talk about that here in just a moment. But as far as our supply chain, one of the, the biggest limiting factors is the transportation and just logistics of moving that supply chain around into various you know, large urban areas. And as such, that, that can change dramatically. I mean, you get weather events throughout the year and you'll have isolated periods where you know, the Northeast is having a hard time getting produce simply because of a large weather event. And logistics of just moving large-scale product around it becomes incredibly difficult simply because of the supply chain has become what's called just-in-time. And a lot of times, inventory for grocery stores is tracked by what is on the road. 
And so literally you have a, a three to five day supply chain. And if that gets uh, a little bit of a wiggle, whether it be a weather event, transportation event, there, there's many different things that could interrupt that supply chain. Let's get into this just-in-time idea. Do we mean that literally, just-in-time? Absolutely. Uh, A lot of our customers today, they are relying on us to be looking at that inventory that has shipped. And so that, that they have inventory that's right there in their distribution centers or in their existing warehouses, but they're looking at that inventory as far as when that ships, and they're putting a lot of pressure on uh, technology vendors like us because they're pushing the, they're really pushing that agenda even harder because they want to be able to see exactly when loads are shipped, so that they know that that inventory is going to arrive either at their distribution center or directly to their restaurants in time for them to actually process it and give it to the end consumer. The just-in-time idea has a lot to do with money, right? Meaning you don't want a lot of stuff sitting around in a warehouse. You don't want to temperature control it. You just want it to be there when you need it. And and shelf life as well. And shelf life. Exactly, because produce, as soon as it's been processed, packaged for consumer goods, typically it hits those touch points and you start uh, a shelf life that is very limited with produce. So explain Fusionware to us. What does it do? Fusionware is a true end-to-end, from from seed to uh, shelf tracking, uh, data tracking software. It's a software as a service, uh, completely cloud-based, and there's a lot of different types of customers that we have Typically, our primary customer is the grower or the shipper or the packer. Uh, Sometimes those are all one, but that's the typical uh, customer of Fusionware. And so what Fusionware does for that grow pack ship is, number one, food safety. And we track that all, all the way not only back to the field, but we actually now take it a step further, and we're tracking the seed if this is a commodity that they're actually planting, and we take that seed and look at the history and genealogy even of the seed itself that went into the ground. While it's being grown, there's various applications and chemicals. If this is a, a conventional type product, if it's an or, uh, organic type product as well or an organic commodity, we're tracking that to ensure that through that life cycle, it's meeting these various qualifications as well. Then once that product is actually harvested, There's uh, raw inventory at that point uh, where it's harvested either into bins or into large storage containers. And our customers are demanding, and those, when I say our customers, that's the grower, pack, shipper. They're they're demanding that we track and being able to report each one of these steps during this process. So tracking, I'm picturing a little (laughs) antenna on a seed, but (laughs) but I'm probably wrong. So what is it? So, literally, when inside Fusion, where at the beginning of a year, our customer will go into, into Fusion and define what we call a block and a lot. And that lot is, can be as small as the, the user designs it or as large as the user would like to, to set it up inside uh, Fusion. Where. And that individual lot 
is then what tracks all of that food safety and, and traceability through fusion where that is our number one component of what seed goes into that field, how many acres are in that field, what grower, what applications, all of those various data inputs then are tracked by that individual field. And downstream from that, uh, we track every single touch point of that as far as when it was harvested, what type of harvester it was actually utilized, when it went across the production line, what production line that end product actually went off, went through, all back to that individual grower, field, and lot. Because there is a chain in the supply chain, you're able to connect the links, as it were. You just need the information. Correct. And what FusionWare has done has, is connected all of that. So our customer doesn't have to use multiple systems. They use just one enterprise-based system. And we have all of those touch points all the way to the grocery store, all the way to the ship. Mm. And let's take grocery stores as, as an example, just for a moment. I go into a grocery store. I go to, say, the produce section. There's a lot of produce. I probably don't think about how long that produce has been there, where it came from. But there is a limited time, the just-in-time notion, that that produce can show up there and be bought by me. Is it a cost-efficiency argument for the big markets like a Kroger's to know this information? Absolutely. There's, and it's not just for the big big box retailers mm. across the United States. It's also for our own customer. Because as soon as they start touching those that produce, as soon as it comes out of the field, that's where that shelf life uh, clock, as I call it, starts to click. For example, let's just take a potato. You can take a potato out of a field and put it into a storage unit and make it go dormant. It can just fall asleep and it can sit there for eight months. And it's just as fresh as the day that you brought it out of the field. But the moment you wash that potato and get it ready for the consumer, it comes back to life and it starts to age. And if you don't watch that closely, it will actually start to sprout. Okay. Same with other types of commodity. As soon as you touch it, do certain things, get it prepped and ready clean and polished for the end consumer, it starts that shelf life clock. And so all the way to the big box, they want to see exactly, okay, how old is this product? Because that is going to affect how long they can actually put that on the shelf once it actually arrives there uh, at their locations. Because, And again, sorry to go into much more detail here, but you look at like, like a Kroger or like a Walmart, most of these companies we don't ship, the grower shipper doesn't ship directly to the grocery store. They, they're shipping into a distribution center. So there's there's that clock that extends it out. That just-in-time starts to extend out even further with the big box because we got to go into a distribution center first before it gets distributed out to their various stores and retail locations. I live in California, so we're pretty lucky to have farms more or less year-round, fairly close by. So I can subscribe to a CSA, go get pick up my box, which I did yesterday, and it's more or less local. I figure that Correct. fruit, vegetables, it was on the road for a couple of days maybe, maybe a couple of weeks at the most, but that's about it. But you're talking about something quite different, right? The food that we see in, a say, a supermarket, how long has it been there? Or how long did it take to get there? Typically, they try to keep it under 
uh, under seven days is is the limit when it hit, once it hits the shelf. Uh, anything beyond that, then it's of an age typically at that point that uh, they would not want to accept that produce. Does anyone know how long it's on the supermarket shelves in the refrigerator bin or whatever? Yeah, so so that's really the the end goal is for the end consumer. To, to actually have some type of a smart tag right on that produce that they could scan and see the full history of that. Now, there's companies, including Fusionware, that are kind of stepping into this arena, and there's been several that have stepped into it pretty heavily but have had to back out of it for this conversation that we're having. It's exposed some weaknesses in that supply chain, and grocery stores and vendors in a lot of cases, don't necessarily want to give too much detail. In other words, let's step on that for a moment. Yeah. They don't really want us to know, in some cases, how long that produce has been around in the store. It would exactly. be bad for them. It would be bad for them. And so, like I said, there's been uh, several, several companies out there, including us, that have tried to step into this, but there's been pushback because of that. Right. I mean, I can I can point to organic or not organic. You know, we, we yep. have Vons and Pavilions here. We have Whole Foods. And I've gone into either of those and bought, looked at stuff and said, you know, that looks like it's been there for a long time. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. to drill into that a little bit further is today's consumer is becoming much more demanding. We The, the millennial... They want to know more about their produce. They're demanding more. And so we believe that there is going to be a transition. How that transition happens, what information not only will the, the, the retailer and the vendor want to give up, is I think from a technology offering, we are going to give that ability to the retailer and, and our customer and how much they want exposed there, the information will be there. And over time, I think that it's going to get to the point where I can walk into a, a Walmart, see a, a QR smart, smart code, scan that, and it's going to tell me the full history about that individual onion that I'm buying. I, and I hope we get there. Well, transparency is good. It's good yes. for at least the buyer. It's maybe it not is. so great for the seller sometimes. Yes. <laughs> now... Let's shift to restaurants for a moment. I can go into a very high-end restaurant in San Francisco, or there's a few high-end ones here, and on the menu it'll say carrots from Salinas, lettuce from San Mateo. It's a selling point, which is rather odd when you think about it, but it's a selling point for that high-end consumer to know where all that came from. Do you think we're very, very far off from that in your average restaurant experience, or do you think that's something that people might want? The data in most cases is already there. Like I say, the, the technology is, is in most cases there. It's still fragmented, though. Like I say, the handshake between the supply chain, there are places where it is fragmented, but based on the USDA rules and guidelines, they need to know where that came from. And so if they're not following those guidelines, then they've got another problem on their hands uh, that 
that they need to, to make sure that they're they're uh, standing up to those various rules and guidelines and, and laws. But uh, as far as the, the, the true supply chain and the, and the software and technology that's in place, like I say, sometimes I, I see that as very fragmented and they're only getting a small piece of the information that they need. But beyond that, I mean, you can go into a Five Guys restaurant today and they'll have it written right up there on the whiteboard. You know, the, today's potatoes are from this particular location. Now, why do you think that is a selling point to the person walking into that that place? I, I think that we all want to know. I mean, this these are raw goods. It's just normal for us to, to really come in and, and really see exactly, hey, where, where was this grown? Was this in the United States? Was this from Mexico? Where did this actually come from? And in your case, I think that, you know, really for, for a specialized buyer, I think that really promotes, you know, not only the local small grower, but it, it just promotes the industry as a whole and comes down to that transparency. And, and the, today's consumer just loves that transparency. So if you were stepping up your marketing talk, your sales talk to a restaurant and making an argument for supply chain tracking, what are some of the things that you'd say? The biggest thing is the amount of information. When, when, I, when we first turned on our, our first warehouse uh, I don't know, four or five years ago, I was blown away, Lee, how quickly. I, I, I honestly thought going into this, I thought, oh, this is going to be pretty straightforward and easy to kind of track and see where everything's going. About the third or fourth load, <laughs> I had no idea where anything was going. And the food safety and traceability, like you said, the, the smarts that goes into this, it's incredibly dynamic. And all of the different touch points along that supply chain are incredibly tough to track accurately. And so when you start talking food safety, in 2019, there were over 300 recalls that were made due to, due, due to food safety, 300. And to trace that quickly and effectively and efficiently is a must. And so what I would be telling the restaurant owners, choose your vendors wisely. Not only do they need to have the technology in place, but they need to be hitting a certain standard uh, that they can actually show and provide you a level of trust with their technology. Yeah, that's a very good point. And the previous season of this podcast, we did an interview at a small organic local restaurant. And the chef owners told us that they literally went around and talked to every farmer. And they didn't buy anything unless they knew the person personally. Yeah. Now, I don't see that. That's great because they're a small group. Yeah, but yeah. when you're scaling up, that's not going to happen. Very so, difficult. So you're thinking maybe rest, it would appeal to restaurants if they were able to vet their the suppliers because – what a lot of people may not realize is there's there's a lot of moving parts to this, and it's also really big. It's not like we're buying one tomato from one person, right? Let's put it this way. There's a truck that pulls up in front of the restaurant across the street, and they unload a lot of stuff, you know, salt, lettuce, fish. But when you open up that truck, you're probably seeing the results of a branching effect of other suppliers and other distributors and other things, it quickly becomes this spider web of suppliers. It just becomes this amalgamated data set <laughs> yeah. that is incredibly challenging to track without technology. 
Right. A lot of times we're going into customers, you know, grow, grow pack shippers that are trying to do this on spreadsheets, literally trying <laughs> to track each one of these data points on spreadsheets. And amazingly, some people have pulled it off, but it requires, it requires so much upkeep and so much input on a daily basis. It just doesn't scale whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, that seems pretty difficult. Yeah. You know, to your point, you know, to your local organic grower, I think that's where there's a lot of opportunity for disruption. And just for clarity as well, the the big guys, the Walmarts, the Krogers of the world, the Albertsons of the world, when they go to approve a vendor, they put them that number one, they they make sure that they're following all the USDA guidelines and in many cases for example, Walmart, they're going to put them through their own series of tests and, and in some cases even come on site and do their own spot inspections to make sure that they're not only meeting USDA guidelines, but their own level of, of quality. Hmm. And I want to clarify a number with you because we've done a little bit of research on this in the podcast. This whole, this whole farm-to-table or farm-to-restaurant thing is very hard to get your arms around. The last statistics that I saw for farm to table were old, and they suggested as much as two weeks from picking to actually being on my dinner plate. But you're saying something, you're giving me better news than that. (laughs) Yes. You're saying around a week. And again, I I just want to make sure that, that for some clarity, it depends upon the commodity. You know, a, a potato, an onion, these are these are types of commodities that they're going to harvest, which in across the United States, there's just finished up this massive harvest of onions and potatoes. Hmm. And over the past six, eight weeks, everything that's been being harvested has gone straight into consumer packs and right to us, the consumer. But the balance of that is going into massive storages or into, into smaller bins of storages, and they will take those with temperature and humidity and literally put those commodities to sleep. And they'll go dormant, and they'll sit there for six months, eight months, hmm. even, even as much as nine, ten months, and go into next year, 2021. You know, if you order a box of potatoes from Idaho, that is going to be, you know, harvested crop from September and October of 2020. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah. the, I was also reading all the news reports earlier this year when the pandemic hit is that farmers had to dump huge crops, yes. dump milk, dump potatoes, yeah. dump these things because no one was set up to get it directly to a supermarket and the, something broke between the farmer distributor level Correct. and the supermarket shelves were empty of some of those things. And they're still empty of some of those things, and yet they were being farmed. (laughs) How do we figure that out? So there's been a lot of entry points in the market because of this. But a lot of this comes back to just logistics, uh, transportation and logistics. I mean, that's what initially broke down when COVID hit was transportation and logistics. And this is perfect lead into this because we talked about, you know, following back through with COVID and what actually transpired with that. But several things happened with COVID. First of all, typically it's a 70-30 split. And by that, I mean most of our customers, the grow pack ship, 70% of these goods are typically going into restaurants. 
Okay. The other 30% is consumer meant for us. So it's a, it's a much smaller pack. And with COVID, it literally flipped everything around. It went 30, 70, okay. To where 70% was <laughs> going the other direction and our customers, it's a completely different pack at that point in time. And so for them to change out how they were doing packaging, they didn't have the packaging for it, their equipment. They just didn't have the throughput with the way that they have designed their warehouses to handle that immediate shift from a 70-30 to a 30-70. And so it didn't, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, there, there was big losses over here at the farmer side because they could not get their goods to the end consumer because it just right. was not capable. They would have to literally get a truckload of unpackaged goods because that was the bottleneck was the, the packer. The packer couldn't switch their operations around fast enough to adjust to, the, to that change. I mean, in some ways, people have an image of the farmer, the little red farmhouse, and mm-hmm. we're, we're taught to think small. But there's really nothing small about this, with the exception of super local, hyper local, right. little restaurant, farmer's market kind of thing, which I'd have to look up the stats. But it's that's the I imagine the minority, the small minority of what's actually happening. And most of this is on a rather grand scale. Correct. Yeah. And, and that's been kind of the unfortunate part and why Fusionware has tried their best to, tr- to, to try to enable a software and a technology for that smaller local uh, mm. grower because you get into the big box retailers and you look at the requirements from a food safety and quality control. It's really hard for a Walmart to work with a local grower because they, they just don't have the money to invest in the technology that is required by today's standards. And so a lot of times they're getting scrolls out, like you say, that it, it's really become a very large grow pack ship operation where the smaller grower has to sell as a pool of growers into a larger operation. Maybe someday we'll look forward to every restaurant having a menu that tells us where the ingredients came from. And we'll be able to scan supermarket shelves with our phones to find out just how old that produce is. When the farmer's markets reopen, you can just ask the farmer. Thanks for listening to the episode today. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get show notes and more at futurex.fm. Future of Food is part of the FutureX network. I'm Lee Schneider.